Amen. My word. While we're uh, preparing to hear the scripture, the first thing I have to say is just the profound sense of gratitude I feel. If you were over at the uh, traditional service earlier, my goodness. See, this is what I'm talking about when I say I have a lot to be thankful for, gratitude. This is just, it just appears here. If you were over at the... If you were over at the uh, traditional service, the festival service last week, then you uh, heard some of these already. But I just, I, I stand here and that's the thing I'm overwhelmed by is uh, how much gratitude I have for uh, the, just the welcome that y'all have given to me here at Dolphin Way for uh, the staff, the colleagues that I get the privilege of working alongside. Uh, Brittany, I mean, just amazing, amazing gift uh, leading us in worship. Uh, Woods and Kathy, who've been giving me my marching orders every day. I tell you, my job is real easy right now. I just go where Woods and Kathy tell me, and, uh, and I'm just, I just, I'm there, and that's, that's all I really got to do right now. Um, being here before the service started and getting to be with the, the media team, the, uh, the praise band, just everybody who has a part in making this service uh, this seamless experience of worship that it is that allows us to get lost in wonder, love, and praise, uh, that doesn't come easy. And I am so incredibly grateful that I just get to be a part of that. So many thanks to the band, to everybody who's made that possible, and to you for being here to praise God. I want to read to you from uh, one of my favorite stories in the scriptures, but um, maybe not uh, one of the most familiar ones. I think y'all actually have already heard about, heard from a portion of this passage uh, back in January, I think uh, Woods preached on it, but I didn't know that when, uh, when I, I felt like this is the word I needed to, to give this morning. And so I'm going to share with you a, a, a bit from uh, the book of Genesis, and I invite you to follow along. Uh, one of the maybe lesser known stories in the life of one of the great patriarchs of the faith, Jacob. And uh, you can follow along with the words on the screen or just listen or maybe even uh, if you brought your own Bible, it's, it's there on your phone. It's really easy to find. You could read and follow along. So, that night, Jacob got up and took his two wives, two female servants and his 11 sons, and he crossed the ford of the Jabbok. And after he had sent them across the stream, he sent over all his possessions. So Jacob was left alone, and a man wrestled with him until daybreak. When the man saw that he could not overpower him, he touched the socket of Jacob's hip so that his hip was wrenched as he wrestled with the man. And then the man said, let me go, for it is daybreak. But Jacob replied, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And then the man asked him, what is your name? Jacob, he answered. And the man said, your name will no longer be Jacob, but Israel, because you have struggled with God and with humans, and you have overcome. Jacob said, please tell me your name. But he replied, why do you ask my name? And then he blessed him there. And Jacob called the place Peniel, saying, it is because I saw God face to face, and yet my life was spared. The sun rose above him as he passed Peniel, and he was limping because of his hip. And therefore, to this day, the Israelites do not eat the tendon attached to the socket of the hip, because the socket of Jacob's hip was touched near the tendon. This is the word of God. It's for us, the people of God. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, whether because of my words or in spite of them, may your word be spoken this morning. And whether we come with willing ears or stubborn ones, help us to hear. In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, we pray. Amen. 
So this is one of those really wild moments in the Bible. And for as long as I've been hearing this, I have wondered, what did he look like? Jacob, I mean, I'm sure that's what you thought. I tried to imagine him that morning. The sun would have been at his back as he's coming up from the Jabbok River, as he's climbing the bank, and he's dragging this foot lamely through the mud that is there. I, I just, I wonder what it looked like when maybe he bent down and he, he washed his hands and all that dirt just kind of swirled into the water around him. I wonder if maybe his face was a bit flushed and his hair was a little wild from being in that headlock that he could only break by driving himself and the man he'd been wrestling face first into the ground. I wonder if his hands were shaking as he cleaned them. I wonder if maybe he didn't clean them at all. Maybe he just kind of walked with his hands out like that. The scars and the scratches proudly displayed because, you know, chicks dig scars, as Keanu Reeves reminds us. I imagine his wife, Rachel, getting up early in the morning, stretching her back. It could not have been comfortable there on the ground. And she comes back to the river where she left her husband the night before. And when she walks down, what she sees is someone she barely recognizes. His eyes are wild and they are jumpy. And his left leg seems just about useless. And as he stares at her from inside the wreckage of his body, there was some excitement that hadn't been there before. The Bible tells us that just an hour before, Jacob had told her and the servants and everybody else to go across the river. And he didn't really explain why. But whatever it was that Rachel expected this morning, when she went down, she saw her husband coming up from the river. This is not what she was looking for, right? There's no way she expected this. And to be fair, Jacob would not have expected it either. You see, if we want to understand this wild moment in the scriptures, we have to understand that direct confrontation was not really Jacob's way. That's not what he did best. Jacob was not the type to start a fight, at least not a fair one. He didn't go in for settling things by force. That was more of Jacob's brother's Esau's M.O., when you read the story in the history of Jacob, you know that Jacob and Esau were born as twins. Jacob was the shepherd, which was hard outdoor work. Like that's not, that's not uh, just sitting back by any means, but it's defensive work, right? It was Esau who was more into playing offense. Jacob was the hunter and the protector. He was going after lions and wolves. Jacob defended the sheep from them, but, but Esau sought them out. He'd take them down with his bow and his arrow, and he was big and hairy, Esau was. And you get the suspicion in the scriptures that he was not the sharpest arrow in the quiver, if you get what I mean. He's the sort of guy you'd write a, a Disney song about. No one hunts like Esau, no one grunts like Esau, no one's wit is so perfectly blunt as Esau's. Throughout their, uh, their growing up, Esau and Jacob had had this dynamic, and Jacob never dared risk an open confrontation with Esau. In fact, he used tricks to get by and blackmail and extortion. Jacob would scheme his way through life. That was his name. We get it from the very beginning. His name in, in, in uh, Hebrew is Jacob, which on the one hand is just uh, a name, but on the other hand has kind of a two-faced meaning. 
The word Jacob means heel grabber. And we're told that that's how Jacob was born. Esau came out first and Jacob was holding on to his heel as he came out. But in Hebrew, heel grabber, Jacob, is also an idiom that means trickster or jokester or deceiver. And his name really tells us all that we need to know about Jacob. When it comes, when push comes to shove, Jacob kind of walks around behind and trips you. And then he runs away. And that's how Jacob came to be here at the Jabbok River that night. You see, Jacob and Esau, they took their sibling rivalry a little too far. There was this time that Jacob scammed Esau out of his inheritance and out of the family blessing. And Esau swore that day that he was going to kill Jacob. And that's when Jacob decided, you know, I've always wanted to travel. And he lit out (laughs) for foreign parts. He's smart and he's ambitious and so he does very well in exile. He marries a nice rich girl and then, he meddle, and then he marries her sister and then he settles down to live with his in-laws, which is, you know, an unconventional choice. <laughs> but against all odds, Jacob makes it work. And after about 15 years, Jacob has got a fortune. He's got a big family. He's got vast holdings in livestock. But in a move that surprises us only because it took so long, after 15 years, Jacob manages to wear out his welcome with his father-in-law. And he's got to go. It doesn't matter where he goes. He just can't stay there. And he doesn't have anywhere to go except back home. And so he takes his two wives, all their children, Servants, livestock, gets a big caravan going, and that's where he comes to the Jabbok River, which is the western border of his family holdings. And when he gets there, he learns that Esau is coming to meet him, and that Esau's got 400 men and his army, and that he will be there in a day. And Esau's going to make good on his promise. And this time he's got backup. Jacob isn't done yet. You know, he's always got something in his bag of tricks. He pulls out all the stops. First, he splits his family into two parts. He sends one to that side of the river and, that, and the other to this side so that no matter where Esau goes, maybe one portion of them can get away. And then he throws up this quick prayer. It's there in the book of Genesis. He says, hey, God, you were there for my father, Abraham, and my, or my granddad, Abraham, and my father, Isaac, and I could use a little help down here. That's my paraphrase, but I'll, I'll stand by it. It's pretty close because you know that's what we do in times of trouble prayer can't hurt Jacob's got a few other tricks as well he tries to buy Esau off he grabs a a servant and he says all right take these 200 camels go take those to Esau and see if maybe that does something for him then he grabs another um, uh, servant and he says how about you take a couple hundred goats and then he grabs a third servant he's like sheep do you think he likes Sheep, And he sends that guy on with the sheep. And when he has sent him more animals than would be enough to win the state fair, Jacob's last words of the day, the last words that he says before what we read this morning are, maybe this is enough. Maybe now, he says, Esau will welcome me and let me see his face. He sends his family across the street the river to go to sleep. Jacob stays behind on the safe side just to see if there's maybe one more thing he can do. (laughs) Try and come up with a deal, some answer that is going to give him the chance to see Esau face to face. 
hopes that one more quiet night is gonna give him the time that he needs to fix all this. Jacob, of course, forgot something. He forgot that God is a ninja, which is the only reasonable explanation for this story. Out of nowhere, in the night, with no warning, no, no signal from the, the watchman, there is this man who is jumping on Jacob. And all of a sudden, this guy, Jacob, is in the fight of his life. The slick-talking, fast-dealing, never-been-in-a-real-fight kind of guy is holding on for dear life. And it turns out that Jacob's pretty scrappy. All those times in the fields, they've done some good for him. Because he's holding his own with this crazy shadow warrior who comes out of nowhere until the moment that this guy who obviously has mystical jujitsu powers just hits him on his thigh and it just goes pop. And even then, Jacob stands on one leg and he will not let go. Jacob can't run away anymore, which is what he would love to do, so he goes for the victory. He holds on and he shouts in the dude's face, bless me now! And the man replies, how about you change your name instead? Quit being the trickster and take me on for real. Let's call you God wrestles. That's what Israel means. And I like to think that that is the moment when Jacob's eyes first bugged out. When he realized who he was up against. Because all his life, Jacob had known God as the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of his forefathers, his ancestors. But this God was present and was feisty and was challenging Jacob to an open duel. And what's even crazier is that Jacob wasn't killed by it. He's hanging in there. He had pressed his face up against God's whiskers in the dark. And he clawed at God's own hair. And here in the rising dawn, he is beginning to see the outline of his face. All this time, Jacob had worried about seeing Esau's, and there was God's right there in front of him. And he was still in the fight. I don't know about you, I kind of doubt that this is what Jacob had in mind when he gave that little quickie prayer in the midst of all his dealings. God of my father and my grandfather, I could use a little help. This is not the answer I think that he was looking for. He wanted something easy, like Esau turns out to be a nice guy, or better yet, Esau's army just disappears. He wants God to be his insurance plan, that everything else is gonna work out okay. And we sympathize. That's the main reason a lot of us come to God, right? I know a college chaplain once told the story of an irate parent who came into his office, furious, because his daughter was about to go off to be a missionary after graduation. The parent came in and shouted, we pay for four years of school, a great education, now she's gonna go dig ditches in South America. And the chaplain had the good sense to say, how is that my fault? You told me, she told me that you raised her in the church. And the parents said, yeah, but all we wanted was a faithful Presbyterian. <laughs> that parent speaks for most of us. We only started seeking God because we wanted help with this one little thing. We wanted a few more friends or a little bit, guide, a little bit of guidance for our lives. And then it turned out God wanted to wrestle. My wife was flying home to Montgomery 
seated next to an airman at the, uh, who worked at Maxwell Air Force Base about a year before he had come to know Jesus Christ for the first time in his life. And all through that time, he'd been attending the, the local Baptist, the biggest Baptist church there in Montgomery. But the more and more he read his Bible, the more and more he had a hard time reconciling what he read there and what he knew of Jesus with the bombs that he had dropped and the lives that he knew were gone because of his work. And he told my wife, I asked to fly a desk until I can figure out what God is trying to do with me and what it is God's trying to tell me. We pray for our children's success and they turn into Jesus freaks. We ask God to bless our finances and then it turns out God has some really strange ideas about money. We wanted some help and we feel attacked. And we commit ourselves to one another in a church. And then it turns out we had no idea what we were getting into. The name gave the name that God gave to his chosen people, the name of Israel. It means God wrestles. God demands that we pay attention to him and not to our own plans. But we don't give in to God easily, do we? We wrestle and we are scared. But we don't let go of God and God will not let go of us. We come to know God by experience. We come to learn the strength of his grip because it held us. We come to know the feel of his whiskers pressed against our face. And it turns out that God's way doesn't kill us. In fact, it changes us as dramatically as if we got new names. And he calls us to live without fear, without tricks without those passive-aggressive patterns we've gotten so familiar with. And he blesses us. And most unbelievably of all, we get these glimpses, like edges that we see in a growing dawn. We see the face of God, and God gets in our face so that we can stand before his. You wanna know how the story ends? Jacob comes up from the river the next morning, lame and dirty and wild, and he calls the family and the livestock that were over here, and he calls those that are over here, and he brings them to one place. He changes his plan. He gets everyone together in one group, and then he walks at the front of them to meet Esau. He had no idea what Esau might do, but when you glimpse the face of God, you're no longer worried about seeing someone like Esau's. And as it turns out, Esau ran to hug him. And Jacob soon settled in to his long-neglected home. He limped home, but he limped with courage. And when he got there, when he got to the house, he built this altar, and he named it the altar of the God of Israel. Not the altar of the God of Abraham, Not the altar of the God of Jacob, but the God that Isaac, that that Jacob, that Israel knew by experience. The God who wrestles. And here we are. Getting to figure out what it means for us to be church together. And you know what I wonder? 
when we've wrestled with God, what are we going to look like? In the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen.